Welcome back, guys. I'm here today for another College Hoops Mania podcast episode. I know it's been a while, but I want to be able to record more routinely again, and we are, I don't know, about four months out from the college basketball season. Some people, I know a lot, are still looking at college football before college basketball, but some of you guys are getting excited for the college basketball season already. Today, I'm joined by Chase Horner. What's up? It's good to be back. I think we're under 100 days now until the college basketball season, and I could not be more thrilled. Yeah, true that. John Rothstein's got that countdown going on for us. But me and Chase did the last couple podcasts together before I took a little break, but we're back and hopefully recording more routinely again. I'm not going to start on like conference previews and like preseason All-Americans quite yet. I'm going to wait till the start of the season to get into that. But right now, I mean, we still have some news in college basketball to talk about. And arguably the biggest news is just talking about where, you know, guys are transferring to, what teams they landed on, and, you know, just how their rosters are necessarily looking for certain teams going into the next year. And probably the last big name to decide where he was going was Kofi Coburn. Kofi Coburn Illinois big man, obviously, last year. He was an All-American. He got down to three schools, and it was either staying with Illinois, going to Kentucky, or going to Tallahassee and playing for Florida State. And a lot of people, it was trending towards Kentucky mainly because two of Illinois' assistants left Illinois for Kentucky, and he and Kofi actually said that the one assistant was the reason why he went to Illinois to begin with. So when, he, when that coach left for Kentucky... Everyone started talking about, you know, Coburn's going to transfer to Kentucky, and he did have him in his final list, but he did ultimately decide to return to Illinois. So, Chase, with Kofi returning to Illinois, what do you think about Illinois for next season, even without Io? Yeah, obviously Kofi coming back is huge news for the Fighting Illini. I think without Kofi, they still would have been somewhere just in the middle of the Big Ten and just would have been pretty mediocre all season, but... Kofi coming back really raises their ceiling, and I think they'll be a consistent top 15 team all year. Um, Illinois is returning four of their six leading scorers from last year, I think, being Andre Curbelo, Trent Frazier coming back for a fifth year, who seems like he's been there forever. Uh, DeMonte Williams and Jacob Grandison are both coming back, who are both great role players for the team last year. Um, John Rostin called DeMonte Williams the best, blue, the best glue guy in the country, and I strongly agree with that. And they also have some couple, a couple of impact transfers coming in in Omar Payne and Alfonso Plummer. I think Plummer has the best chance of getting some solid minutes for this team. He's a really capable scorer. He can fill up the score sheet when he gets going. I think he shot around 40% from three for Utah last season. And there was one game he had 11 threes in, if I'm not mistaken. Also, Austin Hutcherson is a name to keep an eye on. He's been receiving a lot of hype this offseason. He's a transfer from a D3 college, but he's been with this program for, this will be his third year now. He sat out the first season due to transfer rules, and then last season with a back injury. But he averaged around 20 points a game at the D3 level. He's 6'6", but plays shooting guard, and he shot 40% from three on like six and a half attempts per game or something. So he's a name to keep an eye on as he could play a big role on this team um, going down the stretch so yeah this team just has a lot of depth and Kofi coming back really raises their ceiling on how much they can achieve yeah I'd agree with you this uh Illinois team does have depth and it would have been a big hole without Kofi because I mean you lose Io 
and well, Adam Miller. Did you did you say Adam? Miller? No, I didn't even mention Adam Miller. Yeah, I I forgot about Adam Miller too. Adam Miller also left for LSU, so that I mean, obviously not as big of a loss as Io, but it still matters. But if Illinois loses Kofi, okay, like you have good guards, but you're you're leaving a big hole in the paint, and you're you're losing an All American. Anytime you lose an All American, it's a big deal. And they don't necessarily have a lot of size coming off the bench. Omar Payne, like Chase said, the transfer has some size, but he's not necessarily near as elite as Kofi Coburn, and it would, it would have been a big step down there. But they have Kofi back, so they're good inside. And, uh, I mean, Andre Curbelo showed really terrific signs last year, especially the last couple months of the year. I mean, he would take over games at times. You saw him when they played Michigan without Io in the Chrysler Center, and Curbelo just had a fabulous game. And I mean, Curbelo is just Illinois' best player at times. So, yeah. And you mentioned how it'd be really hard to place replace an All American in Kofi Coburn, and they are losing an All American in um, Io Dasumu. However, I think Coburn would have been much more difficult for this team to replace because the guard depth on this team is already incredible, and Curbelo showed a lot last year as a freshman that makes people think he can really step up this year and take over the um, full-time point guard role for this team. And having Trent Frazier coming back adds a lot of experience to that. But without Coburn, they really would not have had much size or experience in that position, and now they have that back. So that's a major plus for this team. That's a good point you made, though. It's not necessarily that Coburn's a better player than Dasunmu. It's just the fact that this Illinois team... Without Coburn, it's just a bigger loss than Desumu just because of, you know, the players they have around it, like you said. So Coburn's back for Illinois, and they're looking to be, you know, a top 15 team around there, I would say, and probably, you know, third or fourth in the Big Ten right there with Ohio State probably, and then behind uh, Michigan and Purdue at the top of the Big Ten is what it's looking like as of now. So Illinois was fortunate enough to be able to keep Kofi, and looking at another team that hit the transfer portal literally harder than anybody else, Texas, who no longer has Shaka Smart at head coach, and uh, they got Chris Beard from Texas Tech, who is uh, Texas's Chris Beard's alma mater, and Chris Beard got after it in the transfer portal. He brought in Marcus Carr from Minnesota, Timmy Allen from Utah, Trey Mitchell from UMass, Dylan DeSue from uh, Vanderbilt, and Christian Bishop from Creighton, as well as bringing in a high four-star recruit, Jalen Tyson. So, looking at Texas, pretty new roster. What do you think of Texas, even though they lost some key pieces, but obviously are bringing in loads of talent? Yeah, Texas literally had about the best offseason they could have ever hoped for. And while they brought in all this talent, their best addition was definitely Chris Beard. He's had, would you say... If there was one coach in the country you could add to your team right now, that it would be Chris Beard, considering see, considering his age and what he's done so far. See, I think that's a great question. I think if it's definitely either Chris Beard or Juwan Howard. Can you agree on that? Yeah, for sure. Because both of them are recruiting a high level. Obviously, Juwan Howard probably recruiting at a bit of a higher level. Mm-hmm. But Chris Beard has done, I don't know if I, would you say he's done more with less or no? Because he's Dude. had talent too. Yeah, he's done more with less. I mean, the Texas Tech teams that I think the year they had like Keenan Evans, they made it to the Elite Eight, and then obviously the Final Four year was a really talented team, but 
like making it to the tournament with Arkansas Little Rock and upsetting Purdue, I don't think Juwan Howard's taking that team to do that. And that's not necessarily a knock on Howard, but I think Howard is a great coach, but it also is due to how good of a recruiter he is and the talent that he's brought in so far. I don't think that he's doing what Chris Beard does without the talent that he has. And let's also raise this point. If you're, like, Juwan Howard just got into this college coaching game. If you're... If you're a high school basketball player who can play wherever he wants, Jawan Howard already has a big step above everybody else because just because of his name and his pedigree from his playing days, people know him. And like Chris Beard has like worked from the bottom all the way up. So if we're talking about recruiting, Jawan Howard, because of what he did like playing basketball, it makes himself a good recruiter in like in itself, similar to like Penny Hardaway. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Chris Beard's kind of had to make his own name for himself based off coaching and not what he did in his basketball career. But I forget what the original question even was, what I think about oh, Texas. Frick. I think yeah, you asked yeah, what yeah. I think about yeah, Texas, yeah. yeah. And I was saying that like they pretty much just got the hottest coaching candidate on the market, like the the number one coach they could have possibly wanted. And then they go and land two of the top transfers, if not the top two transfers, and Marcus Carr and Trey Mitchell. And I've heard I've heard a lot of people say that, like, I've heard a lot of hate on Marcus Carr saying that he just had big numbers at Minnesota because he took a lot of shots and he didn't produce at a high level. But if you look at the Minnesota teams that he was playing on, he kind of had to. Like, who else on that Minnesota team last year was producing? After Liam Robbins got hurt, I mean, Gabe Kalsher. Kalsher kind of turned it down in his yeah. career, yeah. And he's not going to have to do near as much for this Texas team. Like, he's going to be able to take better shots, he's got better players around him. And I think all you have to do is go and look back at his first year at Minnesota when they actually had a much better team around him. I think Jordan Murphy was on that team. He shot a significant amount better from the floor, and I think especially from the three-point line. And that's just because he wasn't forcing all these shots that he was last year because he was literally literally their entire offense last year. So I think having a lot of talent around him is really going to help this year. Um, bringing Courtney Ramey and Andrew Jones back is huge for this team. I mean, they've been with this Texas team for three years each or is this Ramey's fourth year or will this be Ramey's fifth year Jones obviously had the one year off but I yeah either way either way Texas is bringing back two really good guards who have experience on this team and in the big 12 and I don't think that can be understated Trey Mitchell is a name not many people he's not a household name because he played at UMass but he's an incredible talent I think former top 100 yeah he was a former top 100 player he put up big numbers at UMass, and I believe he's going to do the same at Texas. And then you look at the bench, and like Devin Askew obviously didn't have a good year at Kentucky last year, but you also have to remember that he reclassified. So like, this would be his freshman year if he was coming in like he normally would. So really, he just has an extra year of experience, and he's still the talent that he was. And I'm not saying that I'm expecting him to have a five-star level season, but the talent's still there, and he can definitely have a ba- bounce-back season. Um, Timmy Allen had a productive year at Utah last year. Dylan Disu at Vanderbilt, too. And then they have, like, Jace Febris and Brock Cunningham, who is a very hard worker, just hard-nosed basketball player who just cares about the team and not his own individual stats, who will also play a major role in this team, I think. Yeah. I think you look at Texas and you look at their bench, like, every single player on their bench is a really quality basketball player. This team has depth. And they they have great guards again, just like last year, and they have size. I don't know. There's there's a lot to like about this Texas team. 
obviously it's not it's not the same as bringing in a bunch of new freshmen but it's still similar to the fact that it's a bunch of new guys playing together so it might take a little bit bit of time to gain chemistry and stuff like that but regardless i mean when you likely have you know if bishop or trey mitchell is coming off the bench which is crazy to think about and i mean askew's probably coming off the bench uh desu i mean their bench is just super super quality a lot of people think texas is a preseason top five team some people you know even push for higher than that but regardless texas lost matt coleman kai jones jericho sims greg brown and which is you know four really really good players and a year later in texas is still going to be arguably just as good as last year or you know better than last year yeah and going back to their bench you look at the players that are projected to come off the bench, and every single one of them has like real college experience, like playing minutes. Other than Jalen Tyson, obviously he's a freshman, and then your one player that doesn't have experience is a high four star. So like your bench, everyone everyone can play on that team. And then you look at the losses, like Matt Coleman, who played a huge role on this team, especially last year, and then first rounder or first rounder Kai Jones and Greg Brown also got drafted, like. You shouldn't be losing three players of that caliber and thinking you might be a better team the next season, but that's where we are with Texas, and mainly due to Chris Beard. But it's yeah. it's like one of the best off seasons. It's not even just off. Like he didn't do he didn't form or he did this recruiting class with transfers. Like this was like a one month two month span where he just got basically anybody he wanted. It it appears. Mm-hmm. So and yeah, without the one the uh, one-time transfer rule this isn't happening either oh well, so. that's a good point we did we didn't discuss that at the end of the podcast i'm sure many of you know the transfer rule change that you can now transfer immediately not have to sit not having to sit out a year so that obviously was a major rule change and, and led to a lot more players transferring yeah and while we're talking about the transfer rule we might as well touch on it a little bit um, i'm just curious to hear your thoughts on like what you think of this transfer rule where players don't have to sit out a year after transferring like do you think this is good for college basketball do you think this will stay do you think it should stay that's a good question i i think the rule will stay because rules are trending more in the direction of like you know really looking at the player and not necessarily look caring about anything else like obviously this can be a headache for coaches just because the fact i mean rosters can change so much from year to year and whereas you might be able to kind of know what like like when you're recruiting playing time is a big thing that you're selling people on and you might bring somebody in and then transfer comes available and that player may get upset about playing time then which will even lead to more more transfers you know because playing time is probably the biggest thing that leads people to transfer to begin with but going back to if i think this is a good or a good thing or not or if it should stay i personally See, it's hard because like so many people are transferring and it's like NBA free agency in a way. Just, people are changing rosters and, you know, people are just more likely to, to take the easy way out and, you know, leave their team and look for a, a better life and, a, you know, a better team or whatever it may be. But I do think the rule will stay. I don't see it changing just because this benefit this benefits the players and that's that's what it seems like they're just trying to do right now similar to the nil which benefits the players and is a rule that it should have been a rule for a long time before this it was long overdue so similar to that this benefits the players nil benefits the players i think it'll stay yeah i want to go back to what you said on this being like a headache for coaches 
I think that this, along with that new NIL rule, could definitely have played a big impact in like Roy Williams' surprise retirement, Coach K announcing his retirement. Because um, if you think about it, like right after the season ends, that's the time that the coaches usually get to spend like with their family, go on vacation for a little while before they really start hitting the recruiting trail. But now the second the season ends, the coaches are back in recruiting their own team to come back and play for them rather than just recruiting outside players as well. And it just becomes a year-round a year-round thing where in the past they didn't really have to worry about... I mean, a coach might lose a player or two each offseason who usually might not have been that important to the team, but this year they're recruiting every single player to come back to the team, why they should come back to the team. Um, but whether I think this is a good thing or not, I think it's good for the student-athletes. I mean, a lot of times they're in a situation that might not be best for them and this allows them to transfer out one time for free to a better situation but then you look at the negative sides of it and like a lot of times a player doesn't really come into their own on a team until like their sophomore or even their junior year and this kind of takes away that opportunity from them because they have a freshman year where they don't get much playing time they're stuck behind some upperclassmen and they're discouraged by it so they go transfer somewhere else when if they would have just stuck it out for maybe another year or two and continue the development there, it could be their turn by the time they're juniors and seniors and it just takes away it just takes away the developmental aspect a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think part of for so many college basketball players it's just a process and a grind and it's hard work and early in your career it might not go your way, but by the end of the end of your career, you know, the hard work pays off and it makes it all the better. But the transfer rule and thinking about coaching, it could lead to some in-season tampering. Have you? What do you think about that? Yeah, a hundred percent, it's going to happen. Like, coaches are going to be shaking hands after the game, and when it comes to a player they they like, they're going to be like, "Come play for me next season." <laughs> and it may not be anything too serious at the time, but just little things like that can. No, that's a good point. Create, creating relationships with players, like just in games against them, can help you in the recruiting trail in the offseason. Might have some coaches out in warm-ups a little earlier than normal. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Talking to some uh, opposing guys. But, yeah, I mean, that's something that you just you can't help happening. I mean, there's coaches out there who, you know, are, are always going to try to go the easy way out and stuff. So it's it's going to happen. Yeah. And while this, this rule is probably a good thing for these college athletes, the athletes that it does hurt is those high school basketball players who are like, I'll give an example from a couple years ago from Michigan State. This is just the first one that popped in my head, but there's plenty of examples like this. Um, Michigan State was recruiting Vernon Carey pretty hard, and when they missed out on him, they decided to go after Julius Marble, who was like ranked like 290th, 290th in the class or something. And he hasn't done a ton for Michigan State yet. Like, he'll be a junior this season. But he's he's provided solid minutes when he's been on the court and proved that he can be a Big Ten caliber player. But in this day and age, like, say you miss out on a big recruit that, you're, that you were hoping for, you can just turn to the transfer portal and pick up someone that you know has produced at a higher level and just take them onto your team. And that leaves these lower high school recruits just out to dry and, like, the high major coaches aren't recruiting them anymore, so then... They turned to the mid major co- or the mid major coaches turned to them, and they ended up end up going to a lower level and just no. don't get the opportunities that they would have in the first place. That that's a that's a great point actually. Um, it, you coaches have actually said I can't remember what coach or coaches exactly it was, 
But I have heard that coaches have admitted to the fact that they don't recruit nearly as hard as they used to in uh, for high schoolers because they know the transfer portal the next year is going to be available for them, and there's going to be plenty of you know guys that already have, already have college experience available for them, and now they can not only are they available to them, but they can have them literally the next season. Yep. So I think we agree the transfer portal is probably here to stay, though. Like these yeah. real changes that are helping the college athletes that looks the way looks to be the way the NCAA is trending here in the future and whether it's a good thing or bad thing it looks like it's here to stay so yeah it's not going anywhere and I I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because when it comes down to it it's for the players and you know that's the players are what makes this happen so exactly okay this is kind of off topic but somewhat not because it still deals with the transfer portal I guess but you want to know an observation I just made what'd you find Kentucky and I feel like Kentucky and Gonzaga are kind of having like flip-flopped off seasons this year. Hmm. Because I mean, if you look at it, go look at Gonzaga's projected starting five, and like Andrew Nemhard and Drew Timmy are still there. But then the other three players are just five-star recruits, like Chet Holmgren, the number one player in the country, and then Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, two five-star guards. Like Gonzaga doesn't ever recruit like this. I mean, they got Jalen Suggs last year, but that was really their first big five-star recruit, and now they've landed three this year and then you go down and look at Kentucky and they're not built with recruits at all I mean their entire roster should pretty much just be transfers plus they do have a five-star in Ty Ty Washington and I think Bryce Hopkins was a four-star I think Damian Damian Collins was a five-star as well okay so I mean you still look at them and they do have a couple five stars and a four-star but the majority of the producers on this team are transfers and players that are coming back like Severe Wheeler from Georgia, Kellen Grady from Davidson, who I think is a sleeper player to be the SEC player of the year this year because I think he can break out like crazy on Kentucky. Um, Keon Brooks, who's coming back for this team for his junior season, and Oscar Sheway, who transferred from West Virginia like halfway through the season last year. Mm-hmm. So they'll all play big roles on this team, along with like CJ Frederick from Iowa, Davion Mintz is coming back, Jacob Toppin's coming back. Like, this is going to be an experienced Kentucky team this year, and that's not something you normally see from Kentucky. That's something you normally see from, like, a Gonzaga team who's going to be young and... Yeah, that actually is really freaking weird now that I think about that. This Kentucky roster is so different than any roster we've seen in the whole Calipari era. This is actually really weird. Because you're right. Uh, projected starting five here by Mr. John Rothstein has Ty Ty Washington in the starting lineup, which I'm not totally sure about. And the rest of them are either transfers or, well, three of them are transfers, then Keon Brooks, who is a returner. And then also off the bench, I mean, you got C.J. Frederick, another transfer, Davion Mintz, who uh, has experience, Jacob Toppin, who has experience, Dante Allen, who has experience. Um, so, yeah, this Kentucky team actually is, is very, very different going into this year. And then, like you said with Gonzaga, three freshmen who will likely start for them where we've seen Gonzaga, I mean, they've been the team who's had experience in the past. But, I mean, while we're on Gonzaga, this team almost made it through undefeated with a championship last year, first time. Would have been the first time since Indiana in 73? I think 73, yeah. 73. And, uh, and now they're sitting here. They lose Corey Kispert, first-round draft pick. They lose Jalen Suggs, went number five overall. They lose Joel Ayayi key piece from last year and even after losing all that Gonzaga is still sitting here as a likely preseason number one team in the country which is pretty amazing 
Do you believe Gonzaga is the best team in the country going in next year? If I was picking who my number one team in the country would be, I think I would go... I don't know. I know you like Texas a lot. <laughs> I'm not I'm not picking <laughs> Texas number one. But they, they would be in my top four. But no, I think I might go UCLA number one. But really? either way, UCLA-Gonzaga. See, I think if you're on UCLA's wagon, you have to be completely bought into the fact that Johnny Juzang is one of the best five players in college basketball and i completely yeah and i i don't necessarily disagree with that i don't think his you know his run in the tournament was just you know a little bit of just getting hot at the right time obviously he was hot but if you look at his stats i mean he was really good in the tournament but i mean one of the one or two games i mean he didn't score much over double digits i mean a lot of people like to bring up the point about ucla how they had a very mediocre season they almost lost to Michigan State in the first four, and if they did, then they would have never made this run. But Gary Parrish made a good point on his podcast the other day. You judge teams by the things that they've done, and this UCLA team did make it to the Final Four, and you saw Johnny Juzang do the things that he did. And they're returning their entire roster, pretty much, and bringing in a five-star in Peyton Watson, and a really key transfer in Miles Johnson from Rutgers. Who, that is a key transfer. Who I don't think is being talked about enough. I think no. he'll play a very big role in this team. Um, he's just well, a very smart player. I just want to t- talk briefly about Miles Johnson. The, the Big Ten was loaded in big men last year. And Miles Johnson defended Hunter Dickinson terrifically. Mm-hmm. defended Kofi terrifically. He defended Trace Trick. I mean, he, like, if you look at him, he looks like he's a little chubby, but his arms are, like, r- really freakishly long. And he just, gets his, he just gets his hands on almost everything. Yeah, and like I understand people saying that they had a mediocre regular season. People are just high on them because they got hot in March, which could be true. But I'm judging them based on what I have seen this team do together, and they made the Final Four, and everyone's coming back. Everyone should be healthy this year, and they're just adding key pieces. Combined with the fact that they have the best coach in UCLA history, according to Gary Parish and Matt Norlander. <laughs> That's true because, like, like they say, uh, John Wooden has won zero John Wooden National Coaches of the Year awards, yeah. and uh, and Mick Cronin has won a John Wooden Coach yeah. of the Year. So award. I, th- I think the achievements speak for themselves. Yeah. There. yeah, Mick Cronin is the best in UCLA history. I don't even really remember how we got talking about UCLA, but I think you asked if I think Gonzaga is the number one team in the country, mm-hmm. and honestly. I think it's a toss-up for me right now between Gonzaga and UCLA. I'm not making a decision one way or the other. I am a believer in the fact that I I can strongly say that I would put Gonzaga number one over UCLA right now. I have question marks with UCLA and in terms of if there'll be if they'll be elite this year. I'm all on board. Like I I'm ranking UCLA. I believe if I had to put them somewhere, I mean I'd probably have them like three ish, but. I, I mean, you still, even though they did go to a Final Four and they did almost lose in the play-on game, but, you know, they went in, they went on and, well, nearly won the Final Four game against Gonzaga, obviously, but there's still question marks there because they still were an 11 seed last year. Like, obviously, a team that returns everybody, a tournament team that returns everybody for the next season is going to be really good. And I don't think UCLA was, like, a true 11 seed last year, especially, like, Johnny Juzang just... He 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 turned into the player that he was capable of, but he necessarily didn't show consistently throughout the season. He's obviously an elite scorer, but I just trust Gonzaga a little bit more going into next year. I mean, Timmy, it, 
I'd probably, I'd say Timmy's the preseason national player of the year. That'd, you agree that'd with that? be my, that'd be my vote too. I'd say, I'd say Timmy probably is the best returning college basketball player. The only and, reason, the only reason you can make an argument against it, I feel like, is just that Chet might take away a lot of his production, but that, that's fair. I'd still say Timmy's the preseason player of the year. That's fair. Yeah, are you? Uh, are you a strong suitor on Chet, or do you think that his frame's a little too thin for this level of basketball? No, I think he's going to be fine. I mean, people have had these questions about him ever since he really popped onto the scene, and like, he's never showed that it's going to be an issue, and I don't think it's going to be this year either. Combine that with the fact that he's going to be playing in the WCC and going to be playing players who aren't really that physically dominant compared to how they would be in like a power six conference i think he's gonna be perfectly fine there and i think he'll put up huge numbers there i don't know that i would take him to be the best freshman in the country i think it's certainly a possibility but i'm also very high on paula ban bancaro is that how you say it Banchero? i actually don't know bancaro. i've heard it pronounced both ways but i think paulo at duke is just going to be incredible and he's my vote for freshman of the year in the country yeah those those top two freshmen will be terrific to watch and they're playing each other Duke Gonzaga, November twenty sixth, the twenty sixth. There Black you go, Friday in Vegas. Las Vegas. Yep, that will be a great game, and just awesome to see the top two freshmen in the country going at it. While we're speaking of best freshmen in the country, we possibly could uh, could have two more of the top freshmen in the twenty twenty two class be in the college game next year, in Amani Bates and, Jay- and Jalen Duran, because Amani Bates. Uh, officially has reclassified into the 2021 class, which is Chet Holmgren, Paulo Banchero's class, which would mean playing in college next year. And Jalen Duran has not done it yet, but he is, you know, he. it's going to happen. He's committing tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday night, August 5th, so he's, record, or he's committing tomorrow on Friday, uh, I think around 7, 7.30, some, sometime around there, so... Um, college basketball, I mean, we have a lot of these rosters we think are pretty much official, but Imani Bates and Jalen Duran could completely turn uh, it, whatever teams they go to around. So Imani and Jalen, what are your predictions for each player and where they end up? For Jalen Duran, I have absolutely no idea. I really don't think anyone does. If you go look at the crystal ball for him, there's no predictions, and that's kind of unheard of for a top prospect the day before he commits. Like, I really just don't think anyone knows where Duran's going. But if I had to make a pick, I guess I'd choose Memphis. I think he'll go the college route. And I think, I definitely think that the NIL being passed where players can profit off their name, image, and likeness is a big reason why Duran and Amani are now considering going to college because I think for a while it was, even though Amani was committed to Michigan State for a good amount of time. I think it was kind of assumed that both of them would take the pro route and just get their money while they can. But now that they can make money in college, I think they'll both honestly go to college. I don't really have a good prediction where either of them will go. I'll say that Duran goes to Memphis, and I'll also say that Imani goes to Memphis with him. But it is interesting that Imani has Michigan State back in his top four after committing to them for a while and then decommitting. It kind of seemed like they were off his radar. But it has been the team that he's been a fan of his whole life. He's spent a lot of time at the Breslin Center growing up. He has a good relationship with Izzo and the coaching staff. So I think Michigan State is still a player here. And I'll also, to say this about the NIL, I think it really gives colleges 
something to recruit against the overtime elite league, the G League, the NBL with, because like before, their argument for money purposes could have been like, if you come to college this year and have a great year, it can set you up for a lot more money in the future. Like you take Zion Williamson, for example, he comes to college for a year and becomes the first overall pick and made a huge name for himself. And by the time he got to the NBA, he was very popular, signed endorsement deals, got a large contract for being the number one pick, which if you would have went to the G League, he might not have been the number one pick. But now you can use the argument that you can make money while you're in college too, along with with um, increasing your brand and setting yourself up for more money in the future. So the NIL is really a game changer in recruiting here, and I think it happened at just the right time with like the G League really taking off. I mean, you had Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, two of the top prospects, choosing that last year. Uh, RJ Hampton going to the NBL a couple years ago. Players are really starting to realize the money that they can make by going to these other leagues, so I think the NIL really got introduced at the right time here, just for recruiting purposes and college basketball-wise. Yeah, so I'm going to first talk about my personal predictions. I'm with you. It's really hard to know where either of these will go. I will say I do think Jalen Duran will be in college next year. I would have originally said both of these guys were definitely pro-route bound, but like you said with NIL, I think that completely changed and you know made college a realistic option for these guys. I do think Duran's college-bound Amani I'm not so sure about. I don't really have strong feel for him. I think Duran, like you predicted that he goes to Memphis. If I had to predict, I'm also going to say he goes to Memphis. I... It, it, Oh, we didn't say this. It's it's down to Memphis, Miami, and Kentucky. And then Amani's down to Oregon, Memphis, Michigan State, and the G League. G League Ignite. Yes, yes, yep, yep. That's the top four for him, and yet Duran the same. He has G League Ignite in his options. Like I said, Duran's committing tomorrow night. Amani hasn't announced when he's committing, no. right? But Amani... Amani, Amani did announce yesterday with his top four that he's reclassifying. Right. I don't know if he said that already, but Duran hasn't officially announced that yeah. he's reclassifying. Duran hasn't officially announced, It's pretty much but, a foregone conclusion that it's yeah, coming at some I point. I mean, he's been planning for this. I, I think it actually depends on whether he can get his like high school classes finished this summer that might in, be time, true. in time to reclassify. And if he can't, then he'll have to choose the pro option because I've heard high school is not an option for him next year, no matter what happens. For a guy that size, I mean, ready for the next basketball step in his career, that's understandable, I guess. Going back to Imani, though, it, it is interesting to, to take note of the fact that because he won't turn 19 in the year that he's drafted, or, sorry, if Imani cannot go into the 2022 NBA draft because he will not turn 19 in the year uh, of, two, of 2022. I said that right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you said it, but either way, he turns 19 too late to join to enter the 2022 draft. And so that basically means he's still going to have to spend two years out of high school before he goes to the draft, assuming that the assuming that the rule doesn't get changed. And even if he does go to college, it's really hard to see Imani staying in college for two years. So I feel like a logical option would be reclassify like he did and spend what would be his senior year in high school out of college and then maybe go pro to like the G League or overtime with overtime elite league after that and then enter the draft when he is eligible yeah it, it would be really hard to see Amani in college for two years it would be awesome but <laughs> i'm all i'm all for it yeah i mean i don't know what college basketball fan wouldn't be all for it but that just seems that seems really unlikely if he does go to college it, i'm sure it'd be for that first year and then he'd probably go g league ignite for the next year and then enter the draft i do, but 
I, they have been talking about changing the draft age for a while, so I wonder if it would be possible that it would even be changed by next NBA draft. Yeah, I mean, I know there was some pushback on that, and they said it's probably not happening as soon as people may have thought, but I just I don't see any reason why Imani shouldn't be able to enter the draft. I feel like it could get changed for those specific circumstances. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Imani knows something already, and that's why he already reclassified. I don't know. Who knows? But... Two major high schoolers will be making their decisions soon and could be playing in college basketball next year. But with Jalen Duran, like I said, Kentucky's one of his options. I do kind of think that Kentucky stopped uh, recruiting Kofi Coburn because they were all in on Jalen Duran. What do you think about that? I, I could definitely see that, but I feel like if I'm Jalen Duran and I'm looking at these three options, Miami, Memphis, and Kentucky... Memphis and Miami are definitely the better options if he wants to like be the guy because at Kentucky is he playing over Shibway? That's a great like, question. I you can't I kind I kind of think he would. I think I think they could split minutes maybe. I don't know that he'd necessarily play over him, but yeah. you can't really play him at the same time. I mean, Shibway Shibway can't really stretch the floor. Duran can't really stretch the floor. And that's just that doesn't that's not going to work in today's era of basketball. Duran can make mid-range jump shots, but it's I I don't know if he can't be a power forward yet. Not right. not today's power forward no. anyway. And I'm sure he'll work on that a lot this coming season because everyone in the NBA is going to be telling him that he's going to need to be able to hit those mid-range shots and really stretch the floor because he's listed as 6'10 and most people think he's more like 6'8, 6'9, so he's really an undersized center in the NBA. He's got a lot of comparisons to Bam Adebayo, and the thing that's made Adebayo so effective is that he's been able to hit that mid-range shot consistently. So that's something that Duran's really going to have to develop, and I'm sure he'll work at that a lot this year. But that's not—that doesn't mean he's going to be a like plus shooter or anything this this season in college basketball. So him and Shibuya seeing the floor together is just something I can't really imagine happening too often, and I, I'm not sure that he's too interested in splitting minutes with someone right now. But I guess maybe he just believes in himself and thinks that. He's the guy, no matter where he goes. And I, I can tell you, I can tell you who would love to play Jalen Duran and Oscar Shibway at the same time, and that's Roy Williams. But he, <laughs> he does not have that opportunity. But I'm sure he would love to play those two centers who can do very little away from the basket <laughs> at the same time. That's a great point. <laughs> so yeah, Jalen Duran committing tomorrow. Monty Bates do not know for sure. But with that being said. That will be the conclusion of today's podcast. Like I said, I want to be recording more frequently, more consistently throughout the offseason. And as we get closer to uh, the start of the season in November, I'll start be, start be releasing conference previews, my preseason top 25, you know, preseason All-Americans, stuff like that. I don't necessarily want to touch on that too early before the season, but that will probably be coming, you know, a month or so before the season. So you guys can be looking out for that. But more podcast episodes will be coming more frequently. You can expect to be hearing Chase frequently on these podcast episodes. I really appreciate you guys listening to today's episode, and I'll be back with you guys soon. See ya.